Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. And we are back live from the 6th and Peabody Studios, Old Smokey and Yeehaw. This is Outkick 360. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Koharski is here. Jonathan Hutton with some slight voice issues. Hi, how stepped he's changed. Aside. And uh, stepping in for Jonathan Hutton is the man, the myth, the legend, the man in black himself, John McClain, who looks great with the black backdrop also here at 6th and Peabody. John, always good to see you when you come in town for this Texans Titans game. Thank you, guys. I haven't nobody's told me I look great in probably thirty years. I appreciate the compliment. Studio is unbelievable. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, I'm used to being on that side looking at you guys. I had no idea that it was going to be so impressive. This is great, and thanks for having me as always. Well, we love seeing you, especially for a weekend like this, uh, where the Titans are honoring Jeff Fisher and the late Floyd Reese. And there is no better source of information on both of these men than John McClain. At least in the media, there's no better source of information. Uh, I think, John, first and foremost, really cool that they're going to honor these two guys together. Given their history, given how they were tied at the hip for so many years, we know there was a, a falling out in the end professionally, but it's really cool they're being honored on the same weekend. It is. I feel so happy for uh, Sally Reese and the family and and. Jeremy and Sean and the grandkids, and of course, Jeff and Julie and his sons and, and his daughter. But I remember Floyd came to Houston in 1986. He was linebacker's coach for Jerry Glanville. And the first time I heard anybody mention Floyd Reese, who had been in Minnesota, when he was screaming and cussing out his linebackers, I mean, he was red-faced. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he was one of Glanville's favorites. Glanville wouldn't have a defensive coordinator. Does anybody think to get credit besides him? But Floyd was nicknamed Sarge by his players because he's like a drill sergeant. But they loved him. And then when Jeff Fisher came here, and I've, I've told this story at some fundraisers, but I like to tell it again. It's a great story. I'm at the Pro Bowl, and um, uh, Buddy Ryan was the defensive coordinator of the Oilers that year. They had a great season, even though they were eliminated by the Chiefs in the divisional round. And Buddy had come back from his horse farms because he wanted to be head coach. General manager Mike Holovac had told him, you need to come back if you want to be a head coach again. Nobody's going to hire you shoveling you-know-what on your farms. So he did. It was a great season. It was a tumultuous, controversial season. And I heard, and Floyd was the GM the next year, that Buddy was going to interview for the Arizona job. And I heard that at the Pro Bowl, and I called Floyd Got Sally. I said, please wake him up. He did. I said, did you give the Cardinals permission to interview Buddy? He said, yeah, Bo. And I hung up the phone and went back to sleep. So Fisher, who I'd never met, was coaching with the 49ers. They were the NFC team there. And so I called his room, and Julie answered. And I asked if he was there. And she said no. And I could tell Julie was in a hurry. And I find, I told her, I said, well, ma'am, I'm calling because I think the uh, Oilers are going to want to hire Jeff is defensive coordinator. Oh, why didn't you say that? 
Well, let me let me see if I can track him down. I'll have him call you. Jeff, call me. And I said, look, I don't know you, but I know I got to be able to trust you to tell you what I'm going to tell you. And said, uh, Buddy Ryan is interviewing tomorrow at Arizona. If he's offered a job, he'll take it. And, and the Oilers are going to reach out to you because you're the only one that knows this defense in the NFL. But I can't have you telling my competition at the Houston Post who had covered the 49ers. He said, if, if you and I are going to work together, you're going to learn that I'm trustworthy. And I said, well, you'll learn I'm trustworthy. I said, I just want to know if you are interviewing when you interview. He said, okay, he told me and uh, got a scoop on it. He got hired. And then when they started so bad in 94, Floyd was a GM. Floyd wanted to elevate Jeff, but he had to conduct kind of some sham interviews. And I kept saying it was going to be Fisher. I remember Will McDonough going on NBC saying it could be Gene Stallings or Wade Phillips, all these people they didn't interview. And, of course, they elevated Jeff. He won one game. A lot of people want him cut loose. This guy came, can't coach. Then he became the most successful coach in franchise history, and I'm so happy for both of them and their families. Let's go back to, to Floyd for a minute. I, I know Bud was looking – for somebody that could take over for Holovac as as GM ultimately, and the story goes as I remember it that that he convinced Floyd to move from coaching to the front office to be groomed for that role. What was it? Was it Bud pretty much exclusively, or what prompted that move? Bud never came up with that idea. It was Tommy Smith. Tommy worked Whoa. in the office, and some somehow Tommy Smith hadn't had many good ideas nope, that had and good he impact. Didn't, on but the that weather. was a good one. It was all Tommy Smith. He asked Floyd, would you be interested in making this move from coaching to the front office with the idea you'd become the general manager when uh, Mike Olivac retires? And so Floyd had to take some time. He went and talked to Sally about it. You know, it was a huge career change. So he said yes. So Tommy ran it by Bud, and Bud goes, you know, okay. And they talked. He brought in Floyd, talked to him, and they, and they hired him. And it turned out to be a tremendous move. But Tommy is the one that came up with that idea. Did, did Floyd ever lose the coach within him when he became a GM? Was was he someone that you could always kind of tell, you know, was a coach, had that coach inside where he wanted to do a little coaching at times? You always worry about that. And I'll tell you a great example. When Bum Phillips was elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach of the Oilers by Sid Gilman, a Hall of Fame coach, not because of what he did with the Oilers, but what he did with the Chargers. And Bum got it put in his contract with Bud. Sid couldn't come to practice because he knew Sid was going to tell him what to do. First time they're at practice, here comes Sid. He's watching. He calls Bum over, tells him what to do, and, and Bum goes, Sid, you need to check your contract. He did, and he quit and left and never came back. But Floyd never had that issue. You could see Floyd on the sideline or behind the huddle, and he, he kind of like this and that. He'd get – you think he'd want to tell somebody to hit somebody, but I thought he he handled the transition gracefully. Now, when he was the assistant GM, we see him around. We say, Floyd, what's going on? He said, Oh, I'm just in my office getting a mushroom treatment. I'm in the dark. Every once in a while, they open the doors, shine a little light on me, and shovel a bunch bunch of more, you know what? Yep. On me until he was elevated. And when he was elevated, it was the start of the salary cap. They had a team that had been to playoffs seven consecutive years, nine Pro Bowlers. They were 12-4. and four. They all made a lot of money. 
And when the cap came, they weren't going to be able to keep some of those players. And so Floyd was thrust into that situation. And not only did they lose some of the best players free agency, they traded Warren Moon because he wouldn't take a pay cut, traded him to uh, uh, to Minnesota. And I'll never forget that training camp. Bud came. He always came for a State of the Oilers address with the players. Then he would talk to the media. And he told the players, this is probably going to be the last time we're together because we have this thing coming called a salary cap. I'm not going to be able to afford you guys. And they started throwing $1 bills at him to try to help him out <laughs> to keep him that year. But the team went from 12-4, and 2-14, and 14, the biggest one-season plunge in history. And it's at that time they were trying to get a new lease, and it was bad timing, which led to them coming to Nashville. I wasn't with Floyd till 96 at Oilers practices in Houston, but I never saw him Super antsy at practices. And John Robinson is far more involved in Titans practices than Floyd ever was. He has a whistle sometimes during training camp. He is, Floyd did a far better job of standing back and not being in Jeff Fisher's hair, so to speak. I don't know that Robinson is intrusive in a way that bothers Vrabel. It would bother me. If I if I was Mike Vrabel, I'm sure they've sorted it out. But John Robinson is a can't stop himself from being involved to some degree, and they've sorted that out. It's what people would have imagined Reese would have done, I'm sure. I asked Floyd about it one time, and he said he tried to put himself in Jeff's situation. What if it were me and Jeff was the GM? Would I want Jeff in there telling me what to do? Now, he tried to tell Jeff what to do on hiring and firing coaches sure. and stuff. And they and and as a former coach, of course he had an opinion because he was a personnel expert. But as far as the X's knows, I don't think Floyd got involved in that. I re- I respect guys that are able to pull off that way, John, because uh, personality wise, because Floyd is an outgoing, outspoken guy. So is Jim Schwartz, an outgoing, outspoken guy who's had control. He's uh, been a head coach and he's been a defensive coordinator with tons of control, right, for offensive head coaches. And Jim Schwartz now is in a senior defensive assistant role, and he's at practice, and he stands back, and he's quiet. I'm a loud guy. I, I think, like, if I was in Floyd Reese's situation or in Jim Schwartz's situation, I could never just, on my very personality nature, ever stop myself from, I would start to lean in, and I would go say something. And both these guys, in those roles, very disciplined to be able to stop themselves and They'd change their behavior. They locked him in a closet is what they would have done. <laughs> yeah. That's true. The, it's um, the triumvirate of Bud Adams, Floyd Reese, Jeff Fisher, and, and how that all worked. I, I'm fascinated, John, in any organization, how that works. I mean, you, you were around all three a lot, I know, and, and covered this team. How well or not well did that all function? It, it, one reason it functioned so well was because of the dysfunction when Lad Herzig was the general manager. And even though they won, you know, you don't see many GMs mooning wedding receptions in Buffalo. Can you see John Robinson putting his butt in a window mooning a wedding reception? Probably not. I don't think so. Lad Herzig knocked up a flight attendant. He, he uh, one time was found passed out in his Mercedes convertible in River Oaks, the ritziest neighborhood in Texas. And they called Bud and said, what do you want us to do with him? And he called Steve Underwood, who lived way out in the suburbs, come get Lad. 
And another time he wrecked his car. One of the TV stations went and found it in a, in a, in a yard, shot pictures of it. So he was involved in all kinds of controversy. And I think that Bud was ready for uh, some peace with his front office people. And he got it for a long time. And, you know, once it was a, it was such a struggle. And Paul was there because he had moved to Houston to see the team have to take two years to move to Nashville because they made them stick to the last year of their lease. And I don't think you could add two people better than Floyd race and Jeff Fisher to handle that. And like people don't understand what it was like in St. Louis to LA, but Fisher did. The media was not very uh, patient, put it like that. But uh, I respected the heck out of the job they did, not only as they got out of Houston, but as they eased in here as the Tennessee Oilers, how many people even realized they were the Tennessee Oilers? I wonder what happened to all the Tennessee Oilers jerseys and, and hats. Bud forever had a warehouse full of Oilers stuff, and I told him once, give it away. People would love to have it. I don't know what happened to it. And at one point, somewhere down south of Franklin, he had a warehouse full of Tennessee Oilers stuff. I don't know what happened to that either. You could still see on, on Charlotte, there's, there's a faded Tennessee Oilers ticket office sign, if you look closely on, on Charlotte Avenue. Here, here's one thing that I thought bonded Jeff and Floyd also. Bud got older and maybe more eccentric and more removed, obviously, from living in Houston while this thing was operating here. And they were making the thing work separate of him to a large degree here and dealing with his eccentricities from a, a long way away together and maybe commiserating together over that and also combating his eccentricities together. And I think that kind of unified them in some ways. But Bud spent most of his time talking to Floyd on the phone, and he wasn't shy if there's something he really wanted. Be wire my guy. You draft right. him or you're going to get fired, and I'll get somebody up there that will. And that was one of the few times, I can't really recall any other, that Bud really put his foot down on a decision with those two because he wanted Vince Young because everybody in Houston wanted the Texans to take him, and they weren't because they had David Carr, which, of course, was a huge mistake. It was amazing. I think Jeff wanted Matt Leinart for USC. Floyd wanted Jay Cutler. But it didn't matter because Bud wanted Vince Young. We'll continue our stroll down memory lane with John McClain of the Houston Chronicle. When we come back, we'll talk a little football as well as we continue going all in with John McClain. He's here. He's in Nashville. He's in our studio at 6th and Peabody. And we're going to have more with John McClain when we come back on Outkick 360. And we are back on Outkick 360, live from our downtown Nashville studios at 6th and Peabody. Chad Withrow, Paul Kuharski, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle in studio with us. John, it's Texans-Titans week, and I'm always curious about your perspective of this game because with the Titans, there's not nearly the animosity towards the city of Houston or the Texans organization. It's a little different in the city of Houston with the Titans organization because of the history? And not much. I mean, you'd think the, the, this should have been a fierce rivalry, but they haven't been good at the same time enough to where they had a great rivalry. Like right now, Texans are one of the two worst teams in the league. 
I expect them to be the worst team in the league and get the first pick in the draft. I mean, they're awful. We knew they were going to be bad. You know, the Rockets are 1-14. in 14. The joke is who's going to win the second game quicker, the Rockets or the Texans? And I, and I, I told Paul – Paul, ask me that question I asked you to ask me. Yeah, well, Hutton does three keys to, to Titans win every week. We knew this week it wasn't as, uh, as, as pressing and as pointed as it is usually. You said to ask you just for one key. The only way the Titans could lose this game is somehow they got food poisoning on Saturday night <laughs> and were unable to show up at, at uh, Nissan Stadium, and that's not going to happen. This Texas I don't know. Team, have you seen the press box food? If they give them that. <laughs> Well, and also, John, you could have, you know, even if that happens, you might have a Michael Jordan in Utah situation where the food poisoning leads to a great performance against the Texans. You never know. It doesn't matter. As long as they show up, they'll win. This Texans team, it reminds me of the expansion team in 02. It reminds me of the 214 team in 05. The 214 team in 13, Gary Kubiak's last season had a lot of talent. They lost nine games by three or fewer points. And I thought Kubiak deserved to get another season. But right now, uh, today is the two-month anniversary, the last time they scored a touchdown on the road. As I wrote this week, the Titans should be really worried about this because they don't want to be the first team to give a touchdown to the Texans on the road. They're going to win, and in Houston it's a big deal. I think I'm hoping that Amy Adams-Strunk will let them stop the game and present the game ball to – whatever player scores a touchdown for the Texans, if they actually do. And this would be the fifth consecutive game, and that's never happened before? Well, I don't know. We haven't looked that up. We keep thinking they're going to score. They're going to score. Miami in the red zone four times, no touchdowns. It's just their offense is awful. Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry and Harold Landry are going to give them fits because their line is terrible. They have three backups playing. It wouldn't matter. When the starters were playing, it wouldn't matter. They're 31st in rushing, same where they were last year when they were 31st in rushing. We could run the ball as well as they could. They are just terrible trying to run the football. They've been in some one-score games for a while, and their run-pass balance is atrocious. We've seen some teams that don't run the ball well still run the ball. Should they actually be – running it more despite the fact that they don't run it well so that their quarterback doesn't throw the ball 35 or however many times. Well, if they run the ball more and say first and second down, then it's going to be third and eight and the pass rushers will tee off on Tyrod Taylor who's coming off the worst game of his career. No touchdowns, three interceptions, 42.3 rating at Miami where they lost by eight. They lost at home by three to New England when their rookie quarterback Davis Mills had the best game of any rookie quarterback against Bill Belichick in his 20 years at New England, and now he's watching and learning as they've gone back to Taylor because they think he gives them a better chance to win. They have a three-game homestand coming up after this one, the Jets. You know, I told people, man, they better not be looking past the Titans to that big Jets game. <laughs> John, I know you're so tired of being asked and talking about Deshaun Watson. Well, but, I haven't been I've, asked for a while, so this is fine. I've, oh, got, yeah. I've got to ask you, now, is, there, is there any – I know there's no change with the status, but I don't even no. know if the proper question is what's the latest. What is going on with Deshaun Watson and the Texans? We don't have to worry about it till the new league year starts. Status quo. Yes, they, there's nothing they can do. And he'll never play for him again. I told you guys that months ago. He'll never take another snap. He still has – what happened in the end 
They thought they were trading him to Miami for three ones, a three and a five. They had asked for three ones and two twos. And, and But the owners, Stephen Ross, came up the week before the trade deadline and said, I can't do it unless he reaches settlements with his 22 accusers. So he didn't decide to do that. He wouldn't do it before because he thought it was an admission of guilt. So on like Thursday or Friday before the deadline, they started trying to reach settlements, couldn't do all 22. And Stephen Ross said, we're not doing it. And if they do get it cleared up, and I can't imagine he wants to keep going through this, Carolina, Denver, he's already rejected Philadelphia. Philadelphia's got all those number ones. The Eagles wanted him, but he exercised his no-trade clause and said, no, I'm not going to Philadelphia. I'm only going to Miami, and we can only ascertain the reason he's adamant about Miami as he loves South Florida. Any truth to the report, John, that they didn't come to those settlements because Deshaun Watson didn't want an NDA as part of it? He wanted disclosure in some way? No, that came about two months ago when his attorney, Rusty Arden, said we will not reach a settlement unless it can be disclosed. Deshaun wants the truth out there. Now we're like, what? That's never the case. And in this case, that wasn't the case either. It's not the case. There were two or three of the of the plaintiffs who said they would not do it because they wanted to tell their story. The day before the deadline, uh, the one Ashley Solis, who'd been the most out front, did a huge story in the Chronicle, blasting the NFL. She hadn't heard from them again, the way they treated her in the interview. So she went public again. And, uh, you know, I feel – we all talk about Watson, 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 and they have 22 defendants who have filed sexual assault and misconduct uh, have act, act, mm, charges, not charges, uh, civil suits against him. The grand jury's still looking into it, NFL looking into it, Houston police looking into it, and people think that if he were to reach settlements and then that uh, everything else would go away, including a Roger Goodell suspension under the personal conduct policy, which I can't understand why he would not get suspended. It's really funny, John. If, if you look at the wild card standings right now, like the Chargers are the last team out, the Bengals are the last team in in the AFC, it feels like one team too many. Um, and if you, if you flip to the, to the NFC and you go to the wild card standings, which my phone never lets me do easily enough, it's the same way. It feels like there's, there's one team too many. You think it's a coincidence or you think uh, – God sending us all a message that an additional playoff team was not the right thing to do. I think when it comes down to it at the end, Paul, think if the Titans were that team and they're fighting for the playoffs, the last playoff spot, even if it looked like they were going to be eight and nine, people would still be fired up because, you know, as you saw with the nine and seven Titans two years ago, you know, the key is just get your foot in the door. And I think when it comes down to the end, that's very exciting I liked it when baseball had more teams in there during the pandemic year. And uh, you just hope it's not going to be somebody that is 8-9 or perhaps 7-10. and 10. John, it feels like David Cole is in an impossible spot coming into this season with all the Deshaun Watson stuff, the roster, the situation it's in there. It's not been good for the Texans, but what is the temperature in Houston around David Coley, the job he's done and the job he inherited? I don't understand why people in Houston, and I say this all the time on my shows in Houston and on the flagship, I'm on six days a week. What did you guys expect? 
Everybody said they're going to be one of the worst teams, maybe the worst team. They have 34 new players. You know how many players are on the team for Abel's last year? Three. You know how many starters the Texans have in this game who started in the last game against the Titans last season? Four. You know, Vrabel's going to have to introduce himself to everybody. There's seven former Titans on the um, Texans on the Titans staff, five former Texans coaches on the Titans staff, counting Mike, and they're not going to know anybody. And so they're, they, it is a, I said this week, Nick Serio, first year general manager, he's taking a chainsaw to this roster, and he's got it right next to his desk in his office because he's going to be taking it to the roster again in the offseason as they undergo a total rebuild. And I think this team's not even going to be competitive before maybe 2024, maybe 23. Colts are at the Bills. Uh, Giant game for Indianapolis, they all are. The Bills can't run it. Divvying it up between Singletary, Moss, and Breida. Uh, and the Colts' run defense is on the rise. But they've got nobody to cover Stephon Diggs. Um, curious what you, what you think about this. The Bills, Hutton keeps mentioning, everybody still loves the Bills, still seems to rank the Bills as the, as the best team in the AFC. Um, but they're not playing great. No, not like we thought they would play, not like they played last year. You can't lose at Jacksonville and get taken seriously every week. I'm not so sure – the Chiefs are not the best team on their winning streak. I wouldn't put the, the the Patriots about to face a much tougher schedule, including the Bills twice and uh, Titans and the weeks. Titans, of course, up there. But uh, Indianapolis has beaten five little sisters of the poor, and uh, I want to see them beat some good teams before I'm going to take them seriously. And uh, right now, I still think the Titans will win the division. But as you guys know. Without Derrick Henry, uh, it's going to be so difficult. And it's all on Ryan Tannehill. And the the play-action game, which is the best in the NFL when Henry's healthy, you don't worry if you're a defensive player about Adrian Peterson, Deontay Foreman, Jeremy McNichols. It's not going to freeze you as it does with Henry. So Tannehill and A.J. Brown, Brown has just tormented the Texans, humiliated them in four games. Five touchdowns, 16.6 a catch. I look for him to wear them out. John, game of the week is Cowboys-Chiefs uh, in that late afternoon window. Um, does it feel like the Chiefs have regained their footing at this point and are putting some of the problems behind them? And what do you think about this Cowboys offense when healthy? Chad, like they've won three in a row, but the only one that was really impressive was Vegas. 400 yards for Patrick Mahomes, five touchdowns. Have they turned the corner? I think we'll know in this game. One thing I like about the Cowboys being good is their fans are getting so excited for a Super Bowl, and most of them weren't born last time the Cowboys were in a Super Bowl. So I love to see the Cowboys fans get their hopes so up, 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 and then boom, crush The bubble burst. The bubble burst. And if the Cowboys win this game, and their offense is terrific, how many teams have a quarterback, a running back, and wide receivers playing like they do. Dan Quinn might be assistant coach of the year right now. And if they win that game, even though they just got stomped by Denver, um, I I think that if one of their players said, we needed a slap in the face, and they got it by the Broncos, then they bounce back big time. But that's against Atlanta. And so this is going to tell us a lot about both of these teams. I'm really excited about this game.
The Packers are at the Vikings. The Vikings are one of these teams I'm talking about right in the uh, in the around that seventh playoff spot. They really need to win. Devontae Adams against the Vikings in his last four, 300-yard games, five touchdowns. I don't like the Vikings at all. What, what kind of chance do you think they stand against the Packers? No, I never pick against the pa- Packers. It's still amazing. They got obliterated in that first game by the Saints in Jacksonville, and they bounced back. I watched the game with Seattle. The defense played well. Russell Wilson was really rusty in that game, and and uh, as long as Rodgers is playing, uh, they're going to be the favorite, I think, for the Super Bowl in the NFC. If they were to lose the championship game at home by one game because he didn't play and he didn't get vaccinated, boy, people are going to look back and, and realize how that cost them. But right now, I love the parody. You know, I cover, it's it's P-A-R-O-D-Y. Everywhere else, it's P-A-R. I, how do you spell parody? I-T-Y. 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 You got it, yeah. Yeah, I've got the, I've got the, the clownish uh, <laughs> definition of parody. But it's it's fun. I can't remember the last time when there was we could look out and say there's no dominant team yeah. that we think is going to the I think Super it's Bowl. terrific, too. I really like Great. it. Great. And I'm glad that the Titans are in the middle of it. I just, like every, every other Titans fan, you wish Derrick Henry were still here. But you know what? A lot of times, you think about throughout history, there have been times of gloom and doom where somebody emerged, and Kurt Warner being a great example, got a new movie coming out on him. Um, and that's why I can't see how, can't wait to see how this plays out with the Titans. John, have you seen either Hard Knocks, Colts edition, or Man in the Arena, Tom Brady? I, I, I want to see Man in the Arena. I watch all those. We I'm hard knocks out. Um, I think it's great that Chris Ballard and Frank Reich let them come in during the season. But there's so much going on right now. I just don't have the time to devote to it. And uh, I'm still trying to catch up on the Manning cast. I, I've, uh, it's funny, John, because I've recorded Hard Knocks, and I can't find the reason to really go watch it. <laughs> uh, there's always something else I'd rather watch. Paul and I talked about it. We watched Man in the Arena, which is really good, which leads me to this question. It's always funny when there's a couple of bad outings and everyone immediately goes to, is Tom Brady finally old? I remember talking about this two years ago, when that was the first time he started to look old in New England, and then you find out, oh, he just had a bad supporting cast that year when he was throwing the ball well, away he quickly. Poorly. His arm didn't look good that played year. Played poorly, but it was also, to me, it was more of a getting rid of the ball quick because he felt phantom pressure. It was a lot of that season, but it was also not a great team around him. Are, are we asking the question again, is Tom Brady finally old? Well, he is old. Yes. He's just not old like everybody else. He threw those first two interceptions, and I heard him on – on uh, let's go, saying he wants to start doing it on Friday before the game instead of Monday after a loss because he hates having to talk after a loss. And I bet he does because when his interceptions cause them to lose, you know it grates on him. But I learned a long time ago, I would never, ever count out Tom Brady unless he does it over a period of games, and he hadn't done that yet. What do you think of uh – the Miami Jets game. Did you talk about that? Who's who's worse of those two? It's kind of a round robin going on now for for worst team. You said uh, with your game next week, Texans lost at Miami seventeen to nine, and then Miami's won two in a row. 
Beating the Texans, no big deal. Beating Baltimore worse than they beat the Texans. Yeah, that was big. Brian Flores is taking over the play calling, and he's just blitzing like crazy. And we wondered in Houston, okay, they got a great pass rush from their front seven, but they saw how the Texans couldn't control or stop the blitz. Will Vrabel and Shane Bowen, defensive coordinator, will they cause more blitzes than ordinary? They don't need to do that and risk giving up a big play. Dolphins were desperate. I'm going with the Dolphins. I just wish when the Texans host the Jets next week, it was the two rookie quarterbacks, Zach Wilson versus Davis Mills. Why, why did they put Chris Greer on the competition committee when he may well be fired in, a, in two months? I have no clue why they do a lot of things they do when they add and subtract people from the competition committee. I've never understood it. John, I feel like we've had um, a lot of talk of settlements today. Uh, uh, let's, let's stay in line with that. Do you feel like John Gruden in the NFL, the NFL will settle with John Gruden to not go to a discovery phase with the entire Washington football team, emails and investigation? I'd love to be there when the, in, through the discovery process. The NFL's got every to, reporter like the to NFL's be there. got to worry about St. Louis. You know that lawsuit is getting ugly. It's not getting as much attention because it's not any one person. But story in the Sports Business Journal this week is Stan Kroenke wants to cut his own deal with St. Louis and then have the other owners hold hold sitting there waiting to see what happens to them when How he's, could he do that when he supposedly signed a deal that said whatever happens, he'll make sure to pay for it. But now he may be trying to renege on that. And one owner said he would never have agreed to that deal if there was any chance that they might have to pay the kind of money St. Louis might get. Can't imagine they'd give him an expansion team. St. Louis would then have to come up with a lot of money for a new stadium because Edward Jones' dome would not cut it. And then they're saying, okay, they give an expansion team to them. Would they do another one to even it up? Have to. So they got all kind of problems besides Gruden. They will they will get the Gruden thing delayed so long, I'll probably be dead by the time they have a chance at discovery. One other coach I want to ask you about is Bill O'Brien. Um, it, it's been a little bit up and down uh, if you listen to Alabama fans with the job he's done with the Crimson Tide this year, even though Alabama is great once again. Um, do you think that this is a one-year job for him in Tuscaloosa? And he's going to have a head coaching job somewhere after this year? No. I thought it would be a two-year deal. He and Doug Marone are both there. Yep. Those two, you talk about a great story. Those two guys go back to GAs at Georgia Tech to introduce the other to their wives, all crammed into an old VW Beetle while they went to work for nothing. And I think that Bill, with all that talent, I never thought he'd take a college job. He told me one time after being at Penn State, and uh, now he went in the most difficult circumstances – in NCAA history, but he just liked coaching in the NFL better. Now, it might be who's going to offer him a job. I know this. If you're a GM, you better have an ironclad contract if you're going to work with Bill O'Brien because he wants control of personnel. And it wasn't his coaching that killed the Texans. It was his personnel decisions as general manager. But I do think when he sits down with, say, an AD or a president of a school or an owner or general manager, he can – Tried out four division titles, five years, two playoff victories. He coached Deshaun Watson. Watson loved him. And that's that's a, a lot of very impressive things as long as you forget about all the trades and cuts and all that. Let me just give you a hypothetical. 
His biggest recruit at Penn State was Christian Hackenberg from the state of Virginia. What if Virginia Tech came calling and said, we want you to be our head coach because of the job you did at Penn State? Would that lure him back into being a head coach in college? My opinion, Chad Lake, is if he's going to take a college job, it's going to be a big one. Bill's from the East. He's from Boston. I don't see him going to USC or Washington, and uh, I think it would be somewhere in the East or the South. And I think if it was the NFL, he would come back if they offered him an NFL head coaching job. But I believe he will resurrect his career there because he's got so much talent. And and he did a great job coaching Christian Hackenberg, who didn't do squat with the Jets. Would he take NFL to coach and not and in a GM partnership with somebody who's knows how to manage a roster? Oh, yeah, he'd do that. But GM, beware. That's the way it was when he came there with Rick Smith. Everything was fine at the start, but Rick had it in his contract. He had final say of personnel, and he did things behind the scenes to get it. He got his buddy Brian Gain to come back as GM. Brian was out after a year and a half, and then he got total control, and it went down the tubes because of a lot of the moves that he made. John McClain, Houston Chronicle, one of the absolute best. John, so good to see you when you're Thanks, in Nashville. Chad Lack, great Seriously, to see it's great you. To see Paul, you. great to see you guys. Thank you very much. It's so impressive. Jonathan Hutton, thank you for giving me your seat, and uh, I appreciate it very much. See you at the stadium Sunday. One of the absolute best, John McClain. You can see him, hear him right here on Outkick 360 every week. Jonathan Hutton will rejoin us for a few minutes. We'll see if his voice is any better. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. Wrapping up a fun Outkick 360 from Six and Peabody, Old Smoky, Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer, and you. Been a fun week. Great new set here on site. We hope you'll come and see us. We're about to give John McClain the full tour of the campus. It's a legitimate campus at Sixth and Peabody. It's a full city yeah, block. It's not. I mean, it's uh, and it, when you're outside in the courtyard area now at Sixth and Peabody, really cool. Uh, some may argue this is too early. I'm not one of those people. There are Christmas lights hanging, and there's this atrium of Christmas lights over a table, over a picnic table. Yeah. Paul, you're a big fan of art and sculpture, like art. Uh, sculptures uh, more than anything it. else. Yes. You love the Ghost Ballet in, in downtown Nashville. Love like the stadium. This is a very artistic look. Uh, I would recommend everyone who comes here to go outside at night and see this picnic table that has an atrium of Christmas lights over the top of it. And by night, he means after like 3.55. Right yeah, the right golden now. hour here is now about 3.15. So that's when the light hits us right in the face. Second poll question for tomorrow, and I'll kick the tailgate. Whose movie would you watch first? You ready for these? Yes. Well, I know Chad's ready. It's I came up question. with it. It's a great question. Ryan Gosling as Lane Kiffin. Will Farrell as Mike Leach. Tom Cruise as Nick Saban or Christian Bale as Jim Harbaugh? Well, you know what I'm going to say as a big Tom Cruise guy? um, I would love to see Tom Cruise try to channel Nick Saban. Well, they have the right height, the matching height. Same height. Uh, Nick Saban, a very good-looking man, much like Tom Cruise, a very good-looking man. Maybe both have slight Napoleon complexes. Let me see that in front of me. Also, what it would work? I choose Will Ferrell as Mike Lee. Yeah, that would be the most going to be a popular entertainment. It's, gonna, it's the most comedic. I think and I oh, like a nice sure. comedy. Com- I think comedy. Christian Bale was as the, uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh in sort of a dramedy. 
could also be entertaining. These are very good. Chad. I know this we're is, going for big names, work, but who, yeah, and for who's sex the, appeal, it's it's Gosling as Lane yeah, Kiffin. Who's the uh, who's the, the co-star with like Will Ferrell and Step Brothers? John C. Riley. So I thought he about. would be a better Mike Leach. See, I thought about John yeah, C. Riley. I wanted to go John enough. C. Riley, but right. I was afraid not enough people would know. No. Well, that's fair. I yeah. wanted to go mainstream because I wanted the most people. He's to know mainstream, exactly but not mainstream enough. Yeah. Either one, I think, could crush it. But yes, you're right. Physically, I could see John yeah. C. Riley pulling it off more than Will Ferrell will pull it off with some makeup. Yeah. I mean, with uh, look, these are with Kiffin, act- you could have actors. like a you could have a, a hangover movie with Kiffin. Yeah. The beauty is that any one of it these would be guys... All, it would be R-rated, too. Any one of movie. these guys could play any one of these coaches, except Tom Cruise would need lifts for some of them. No, I think Tom Cruise and Nick Saban are close to the same No, model. I'm they saying are. any one of these actors could, because they're so talented, portray any of the four coaches. I, yeah, I think so, too. Um, except that I, Tom Cruise would be height I challenged. Would, I will say... I think Tom Cruise would have the most difficult time. As I said, because oh, but not wow. just from a height saying I love Tom Cruise. <laughs> he's both, insulting Tom. Cruise. I think, both are I, think five Tom, seven. I think Tom Cruise is more. I mean, he's played a lot of different Tom parts, but it's weird that I say that Will Ferrell could show more versatility than Tom Cruise. Remember in when we spent Tom Cruise is very doing, good at what he does. We spent a week doing Celebrity Heights one time. We did. Tom we, Cruise and Nick Saban. I, I base everything off Google. He's five seven one seventy. Man, it's Man I have a hard time believing he's 170 more than the 5'7". I think he's 5'3", 140. Like, I feel like he's 5'5", 152. Daniel Craig is 5'10", 172 for comparison. I can, I can buy that. That I can buy. How tall do we think Ryan Gosling is? <laughs> Let's play this game. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to close up. I would say... No, I would say... 6'1". I think we've done this one before. Six, I think he's... I'd six say, feet tall. I'd say... Six feet. I was going to guess six feet also. We're, we're all all over that one. We're all over Ryan Gosling's height. <laughs> <laughs> and what a way to close the that's week. Right. That's Farrell's right. Will yeah. Ferrell's 6'3". I knew he was tall. I'm just guessing that. No, I think that's I legit. think he is 6'3". Yeah. Well, that makes Elf all the more perfect. Yeah, he's 6'3". <laughs> Paul, how does the game go on Sunday? Oh, I, uh, I'm comfortable predicting that they win big. Does Houston score a touchdown? And efficiently. I think that Houston... Might score. I'd say that Houston does score a touchdown. Now, I'd say that somebody doesn't go five mm. road games in a row without scoring a touchdown. But I, John McClain's column's already written about yeah, the record sorry. being broken, so you're really breaking his heart over there. I mean, if they I score could touchdown. see Houston scoring 10 points. Uh, call me crazy. <laughs> what an amazing. Nine or 10. Titans are only 10 point favorites, right? Yeah, that's, only. that's low. Yeah. I think it's like 30 to 10. Are we going all in? I. I, I don't bet on it. What time. was well, the last time we went all in was Rams in. to bounce back and handle the 49ers. Yeah, I, I went way. So I'm a little hesitant to go all yeah. in now. That was like. Do you like my texture? I said, boy, our bet's looking great. <laughs> I, I said, there's still time. I was yeah. holding out hope. That was a disastrous bet. There was not time. There, there was, was not. You know. Spoiler alert. There, there, there was, was not. There was, left. in fact, not time. There was six minutes left. There's no way. There was, there not was enough no time. life in that game whatsoever. I uh, told you, take the Cowboys. And I took the Saints before I knew that Camaro was out. So bet that at your own peril. I took the Saints on the road, outright winner. Take the Houston's. Take the Houston's. Take the Texans to score the least, the least ten at the most, and it'll be the least. Of the Chad, world. you ready for tailgate tomorrow? I am. Yes, outkick the tailgate back tomorrow, uh, nine to eleven a.m. Central, ten to noon Eastern time. We will have a home game tomorrow from this studio. Looking forward to it. Jill Savage will be with us. 
Bruce Feldman will be with us. I, I, yeah, and Wesley gonna, Woodyard. I'm just going to start saying names. Wesley Woodyard, Clay Travis. Tom Cruise. Tom, will you, Tom Cruise. Uh, will you go, gonna pop in? Uh, will you not speak between our sign-off and that tomorrow morning sign-on? That's my plan. Use a notebook. We'll see if I'm, I'm, I'm hey, Claire. You know, allowed to be on the air. Hutton is going to be uh, dormant. You got to go voice. When you get a voice like this, you got to go voice dormant for as long as possible. It was weird. I just I woke up not able to speak. It's bad. I mean, rest. It's a good sound. Rest is also key. It's not a broadcast sound. It's a good sound, but not a broadcast sound. It's great. Sounds like Demi Moore. <clears throat> I may be out tomorrow. I we'll see. I love Demi Moore. Who knows? I sound like Demi Moore. I'm out. <laughs> also, Demi Moore will join us tomorrow. Now, get the tailgate too. Surprise guest. She's well, a great picker of games. Yes. We're back on Monday. Hope you'll join us for Outkick 360.